SFJ 4x4 Studios presents in my in my oversized four-wheel drive Jeep a Jeep podcast starring industry experts pure monosity what what <laughs> say that again with mad scientist Scott Brown use my drill press as a sort of lathe our host Neil Simpson if one light goes out they all go out filled with shenanigans we we are really professional with jeeps this is i speak jeep good morning afternoon evening wherever however you are joining us this is the i speak jeep podcast presented by sfj4x4.com my name is neil with simpson family jeeps joined in studio as the usual this is the orange side of the studio on grandma's couch and then we have Scott in the classic attire over here. I, yes. I just want to know, a, a colleagues. Why, why do you get a pumpkin on your orange shirt? Uh, <laughs> right? I, I knew you were going to be jazzed up. <laughs> I knew you were going to be jazzed up because I uh, I, I intentionally, for those uh, listeners, uh, this is the, uh, you know, we're, we're roughly filming a day or so before Halloween. This is not a Halloween-inspired, uh, you know, podcast, but I made sure to wear my best pumpkin shirt. Jeffrey looks like a pumpkin. Um, is using uh, is currently dressed in our our limited edition uh, spooky season hoodies, which we virtually sold out of. It was fantastic, right? Um, and uh, we had just a couple smalls and a couple mediums left in uh, uh, in our inventory. So, so Jeff's good for uh, for cereal. I was going to say Jeff is a schmedium. The, the small so, and schmedium is uh, great for Jeff. That's perfect for Jeffrey. <laughs> so I, I think I'm that's, wearing a large currently. Guys. It's well, you're well, swimming in it, obviously. Yeah, it's fine. The so I was short. <laughs> <laughs> as I was saying, joined in studio with these fine gentlemen. Are you sure? Well, I'm not sure because Jeffrey is eating. I mean, just for people, I'm going to do it on camera, and I'm going to just talk about Jeffrey talk has about. the Hostess Jumbo Donuts. Uh, he just is a child in a convenience yes. store with too much money. Yes, and and and, and he did not share. Well, I'm not. I'm not interested in sharing. That's, I'm sure you can have that, but then no. you're gonna end up cross no. town. No, you want? You called no. it out. No, it's yours. No, oh, no. now it's your donut. Oh, okay. Now it's your donut. No. Yes. Come on. Join me with the preservatives. Healthy, preservative-driven Hostess Donuts. Thank you, Hostess Company. Not sponsored. Not sponsored. (laughs) Not sponsored. Uh, Since you two haven't introduced yourselves, I'm going to give folks listening a rundown per... Per usual, though it says I speak Jeep, we are going to be talking about the aspects of the where the Jeep life takes us. So there will be some... In general, uh, updates of us as individuals, uh, folks who both drive Jeeps, who have built Jeeps, who are obviously daily, uh, have our hands and minds wrapped around Jeeps. We'll be doing some personal updates in our lives. Then we're going to be talking some talking some tech specifically today on uh, thermostats, uh, not the kind uh, that is on the mounted on the side of your wall in your house that turns up and down your heat, but the intimate uh, part of your cooling system that really, you know, uh, defines how that system works. And so we'll be sharing with you that. And then under our our traditional hashtag not sponsored, we'll be taking some of that time to actually tell you uh, about SEMA because tonight uh, most of our team is jumping on a plane and flying to Las Vegas. So those of you who are watching us live, 
uh, which you can do uh, ten nineteen a.m. every you know every Monday. Uh, you see Jeffrey Savage obviously has got the camera on. He's working behind the scenes. Uh, they are going to be jumping on a plane and they'll be in Las Vegas. So by the time most people are downloading all three of you in your ear holes to listen to this podcast, uh, the guys will be in Arizona. Goodness. What are you? Las Vegas, Nevada. Wow. (laughs) Right. And and, and the best part is, Neil, you're joining us Wednesday night. You're flying in. Yes. And. Now I'm concerned that you're going to fly to Arizona. <laughs> I was going to say, I have to figure out where my tickets are headed to. Maybe I need uh, you to book them for me, Jeffrey. That's a the challenge. Gracious. I don't know where the heck I'm going now. Yeah, I'll be flying out latter half of the week. So real quick, I'm Jeff Shermani, the producer, and I'm just going to read through some of the comments because we got a lot already. Yes. Uh, Darla says, uh, good cold and rainy morning. Yep. Chip says, good morning, SFJ. Brad says, happy morning. Happy Monday, fellas. Happy Monday, Brad. Uh, Roy Hill said, the comments keep moving on me. Good morning, everybody. (laughs) Daddy Jeep says, morning, fellas. Uh, Roy saying, glad to check the show this week. Yeah, we're glad you joined us, Roy. Uh, Joe is saying, it's a great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. It is. Uh, Then Ken Kushner's waving. And Joe is also saying Hostess Donuts and a Coke, the breakfast of champions. That might as well uh, be what Jeffrey's what Jeffrey's coffee. eating and drinking. So good morning to everybody who's yep. joining us in the comments. Remember, you too can join us uh, nearly every morning at 1019, every morning, every Monday morning you're at just, 1019 a.m. <laughs> I am you need struggling. The Savage, get him coffee. <laughs> I, I've had a, a sufficient amount. I don't I know. I don't believe you. There's a lot of moving pieces right now. A lot uh, of moving pieces. And then over there, dressed in black for Halloween. As he should be. Uh, in black what, for who Halloween. are you? Uh, mad scientist Scott Brown. And today I am uh, inter, uh, upper intake removal guy so I can do a heater core. Heater core uh, yeah. services this week. So, yeah, Scott and I will be holding down the brick and mortar for the the, the better half of the week. I'll fly out towards the end of the week Uh to join our team out there, and then the majority of the team will be there. Uh, boots on the ground, bringing content and uh, doing good work for SFJ um, at the the SEMA show. We'll be telling you why that's important yeah. and why it matters to you as listeners and followers of both this program and the business, and and what you know what you can expect out of us. Um, you know, shortly after we kind of talk tech with you a little bit well and if you follow our facebook page uh obviously if you're watching live you do the tuesday updates this week neil may have to do the tuesday update and shop but i may bring you a tuesday live update from vegas as well yeah that would be that would be fun i know there's the whole where you can bring people on and i i wonder if we shouldn't try and do like a conjoined i think i think we need to right so that's that's what's going to happen guys yep we'll uh uh, obviously, the time change, you know, the the time zone Two differences, difference. uh, we'll have to be conscientious of that. But ultimately, we will do our darndest to do kind of a conjoined, uh, you know, live update both in our brick and mortar and at the uh, SEMA show. Uh, obviously, we've got a number of things to attend to here ourselves. Uh, but you know, how was your guys' weekend? It was pretty good. Uh, it was able to project updates. I saw there was a blue dash in, a, in a, a car. Blue dash. Uh, it, the, it is out. I am going with blue. That is the color chosen. That is uh, a very, very beautiful cool blue. blue. Yeah, and that especially being installed in that dash. Yes, I I just kind of cements that that's what I really want it to be. Uh, the whole car will be that color at some point mm, with hopefully okay. a black 
insert in the grill. Uh, and then hopefully either I will or I'll pay someone to do pinstriping on various parts of the car. It will have a white firewall, which you guys have already seen if you're following along. Um, to kind of break that up underneath the hood. Are mm-hmm. you going to find someone that actually does original pinstriping with the paintbrush? Yes. That'll so be awesome. He, he already had some pinstriping done years ago. There's this uh, character who lives not too far away yeah. from us, but we can't pin down where he actually lives. Yeah. Mm. And he does beautiful original pinstriping. It, it's really um, cool. He's very similar to me. His dad was in the cars. He grew up in the scene. Uh, now he does uh, pinstriping, goes to the various shows around the area. And uh, Amy's CJ7 on the glove box, if you ever get a chance to see that, there is pinstriping and three hearts, and there's significant uh, meaning to those. Uh, so we had him do that, and it was very reasonable. And I honestly didn't realize that was done by yeah. uh, a pinstripe Yeah, artist. so so yeah, Scott I got- and I share this uh what love of pinstriping of original art pinstriping? Well, I, I, it is it is in itself a talent unmatched as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah, yeah. I would love to have some pinstriping on old blue done. Um, I'm kind of glad that I didn't because years yeah. ago I had I had tried having somebody do some pinstriping on blue, and I'm glad I didn't because uh, blue needs reworked. Is really what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah, um, but be blue 2.0. Yeah, yeah, but I. <laughs> And I, I had the opportunity to to mess with him a little bit this weekend, and man, it just reminds me how much I enjoy old clapped out jeeps in yep. general. So, anywho, but yeah, the pinstriping would be very cool. Yeah. There is somebody local, but <clears throat> if you're listening and you're into pinstriping yourself, we might want to know about it. You know, you oh. might want to reach out and tell us uh, how good you are at pinstriping. Even better, Amy just said she's going to learn just so she can do the car. I could see Aww. how she would be able to do that. That would be really and cool. She is always my cheerleader and helper. Uh, I had been restoring the the small gauge. I did the speedometer months ago, kind of as a treat to myself. And to help another fellow 36 Ford owner, uh, I actually had two speedometers. I cleaned them both up. I shipped one off, no cost to uh, this friend that is building across the country, and I kept one for myself. So I was when the dash came back, I was really excited. I was like, okay, there's all these pretty parts. Yes, I thought were pretty. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) And then I was going to put these on, and then it's amazing how that beautiful blue, and and the painter said it's straight out of the gun. I didn't do anything to it. I got to tell you, it is flat. It is flawless. It is perfect for me. I am not going to touch it other than put a coat of wax on it once I'm at a certain point. Uh, I had to clean up a lot of things, but the speedometer was nice enough. I put that in and immediately was like, okay, I got to clean up everything else. Now you got to clean up all the other gauges and and switches and knobs. And so I took the gauges completely apart. I mean, every nut screw and and bolt assets for the actual units themselves. I can't take apart. I then I use a product called metal rescue, which is a couple different brands on the market, but basically it looks like a clear liquid. It's non-toxic. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, take a bath in it, but you can you get it on your fingers a little bit. It's fine. Put your uh, parts in there and wait a day. You come out and they are gorgeous. Hmm. They are rust-free, clean. You literally wipe up like a black, almost soot off of them. Yes. And it looks completely restored. So all the backs of the gauges that are going to be bare steel again, uh, got the reset button hit. And yes. those are back to shiny and nice. I even took the uh, amp meter uh, and just barely put it in, like, on the surface and let that clean up. And the third brake light uh, bezel, I have one that says stop, and then there's a little red 
uh, orb in the middle. It's actually two different filaments. That I had no idea was actually still chrome or or some sort of sure a zinc. I put that in there, and it was it literally shines now. I was really tickled with that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, long story short, there's lots of little parts and gauges, and uh, I dropped a screw. Oh no! And Amy got me this beautiful uh, fixture table, which I use on the M38 uh, seat modifications. If you get the, on our Discord and see that. Uh, You'll see that in use, uh, which is awesome, by the way. Right. If you you need one, go buy one. (laughs) But anyway, I was working on that flat surface because Scott and flat surfaces. And Mm -hmm. the one little baby screw fell through the fixture hole and was gone forever. I I was certain. And I'm very picky on hardware, and I wanted the right screw in there. So I finally went in the other night and was like, honey, I need your help. Uh, I dropped the screw. It's very small. This is what it looks like. Help. Oh, no. Oh, no. So she came out and got the the magnet and wanded all over the floor. And we tried, you know, and I had already done some of this myself, but I'm blind as a bat half the time. So anyway, uh, she finally had almost given up. She sat down in the chair, looked at her phone, looked on the floor, and it was right there where underneath the hole, which I have looked like three times. Oh, a little act of serendipity there for <laughs> so you guys. I was able to put that back together. Excellent. Last night, and all three gauges are now in the dash. Uh, there's a part in the center of the dash that is shiny that is called a waterfall uh, on a 36. I cleaned all that up and polished it and put that on, and now I am in the midst of gutting the original radio. Uh, for those that don't know, you had a box that mounted on the firewall that had all the tubes uh, that heated up to make the radio work. Mm-hmm. We're talking to us old school AM. Uh, in the center of the roof is a fabric insert because they physically could not stamp a panel that big in 36. 37 they could, but in 36 they could not. Uh, and there is chicken wire in there, and that is the antenna. Okay. And then you had a round head that went in the center of the dash of that waterfall uh, where your ashtray would go normally or a delete plate would go. And that had cords or or, uh, cables that go down to the box, and that's how you adjusted the radio. Okay. So my plan is uh, some sort of newer uh, sort of radio will go in that box and probably more because the box is huge. Sure. And the radios are tiny, uh, and I'm going to have a speaker up where the original was as long as it and the wipers don't uh, clash shorts. Right, right, right. And uh, I'm not sure yet what the head will be, if it will just be a dummy or if I'll be able to use the knobs to control something else. But that is a future plan, figure out. Right now, I'm just getting everything. Everything's gutted. I got rid of all the original electronics. Uh, Felt bad, but a lot of the tubes are actually coming apart. That's how light bulbs, if you've ever had one where it comes off its base. Right. That's what a lot of the tubes were doing. So. It wasn't anything good to start with. I completely gutted the case and sandblasted it, and now I'm going to spray it black wrinkle, and mm. I have to find special T-bolts to put it in yep. and drill two more holes in my car because it did not have a radio originally and put it in. I love the the vintage radio um, styling. Yes. And I actually, I was I was following along on your, your updates, and the concept of a waterfall mm. is a stylistic um piece that we see used in the 30s and 40s on very, very art deco very art deco and it's beautiful and and I I actually I don't remember what it was that last week I'd walk through and I I said something to you in passing I don't remember what I was carrying and I was like they just don't we don't have this 
this type of styling, this quality on newer vehicles. It was something yeah. that was very solid. It was very uh, it was very quality. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I remember saying that to you. And it kind of same goes with the radios of that of that era, the right. waterfall um pieces, the trim pieces that go on the dashes of many different vehicles. Yep. Um and what just cool vintage iron um, you know, 100%. which was made America fall in love with vehicles, hundred percent. Right? And, and that's when everything had style. Even your, you know, your vacuum at home had chrome on it and yes. heavy and that kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I just have always enjoyed that kind of stuff. Agreed. So agreed. Jeffrey, anything exciting going on with you? Yeah, or? I I have a few updates. But before I get to that, I just want to read Chip's comment. Uh, he said Vegas dot 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 Neil dot 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 and Davy. <laughs> YouTube shenanigans, gold in the making. Yeah. <laughs> now, just just to clarify, Chip, you are going to be stuck with me for the first half of the week. Neil won't be there. I right. apologize. Which, which to, me, to me, this is going to equate uh, to me using metal hangers for my doors versus you making these beautifully handcrafted ones. That's true. Um, so if you don't know what that's about, as, as Scott had mentioned about Discord, yeah. go on, join us, our Patreon on I Speak Cheap Patreon, and you'll have access to that Discord channel, and you'll understand what this... This yes. is about, and yeah. he he roasted me for my updates from this weekend on should. Discord, <laughs> as he should regarding that, no doubt. So no th- doubt. this weekend, um, I was actually uh, obviously it was Halloween weekend. Uh, our area did trick or treating, so we took mm-hmm. the kids trick or treating and and had that that little bit of fun there. Uh, but we also took them out to to Edinburgh uh, to the the ponds that we frequently go to, where mm-hmm. our kayaks currently live on the ground, and I built a rack out, out of would put uh had a nice assembled rack so we could put all four of the kayaks up on that the, sure, the paddles keep them nice for the the winter season yep. coming and uh xander for his birthday was given a speedboat remote control speedboat oh, so fun. he got to use that on the ponds for the first time that's and cool. i gotta tell you that thing is it's fast it's awesome i i of course played with it first because you had to calibrate it and oh, then of and, course, then, and then i'm like course, yeah. and then i'm like oh well let me just see let me see how it goes but okay no, oh, yeah. you know what dad okay, tax you should, dad pro- tax. You should probably go is. play with us dad tax. destroy it because that was fun <laughs> yeah um so that that was pretty much that um and then just constant planning for the the nonprofit have really hard strings and doing more and more updates with that and the event mm-hmm. planning so mm-hmm. uh, including a lot of updates coming out of there right now so. yeah we because we secured a venue um, and there's talks of it becoming a block party style with the venue actually closing off the side street that they're on mm-hmm. so it should be a really cool event this year coming up in 24 so excellent awesome. excellent and and you know certainly not that uh monumental but the you know my wife and I continued our our work on um on our our not a tiny house and uh you know continue to move forward with fortress it's so a fortress yes i i happened to run into you at walmart on saturday before you were going to work on the house yes and i saw that you had small bags. I, I don't think you had anything to work on the house within those bags. What, no, what were no, you? no, no, <laughs> no. You, you caught us uh, right before we headed over to the, um, uh, right before we headed over to the, uh, the, that their home Depot yeah. and uh, loaded up on, on did, lumber and, and supplies. Did there. they have any forklift drivers try to take out their racks? They on? did not have any, <laughs> you, you had the excitement at Lowe's uh, with the forklift drivers no, we just had the we had a couple guys get irritated at us because they were trying to close out the lumber section to use the forklift, uh, and uh, Jen and I just took our good old time trying not to get some dogleg boards in the process. As um, you should. So they had to wait. So they had to wait 
and they got, you know, just a little, little testy just cause I was, you know, we were pulling, uh, uh, 16 footer boards, uh, for, uh, we're sistering, we're trying to build forward for after the, um, house becomes not a storage unit and we can add to it. Uh, it's very important to say that we're not affecting the footprint, uh, or the dimensional, um, layout of the house other than what it was originally constructed as. Um, that is my hill. That is what I'm dying on. <laughs> and so, uh, with that said, uh, we have, aspirations to add aspects onto the building. Um, but we can't do that until all of our I's are dotted and our T's are crossed, but we need to put it in place now, uh, because we are trying to side it and seal it up, uh, fully, uh, by winter. You know? As always, you got to build your foundation to handle what you're expected to do in the future. Correct. Correct. So we're looking forward. Um, so that was a big part of what we were working on this weekend. Anywho, um, I do want to make sure that we get through some of our technical conversation because uh, I get very excited about SEMA, and I think that there's a lot of people in our viewing and listening land that would equally like to know um, both about the event itself, but mm-hmm. also about the you know how the cooling systems work yes. on our our well our, arguably all vehicles, but our newest vehicles as well. Yep. And it's kind of serendipitous that we are working on a heater core right now. Yep. Because uh, sometimes Scott and I can be a little pedantic and uh, and and talk uh, arguably a little bit over people's heads in the technical aspect of how vehicles work. But I think what a lot of people may not recognize, especially if you're kind of new to being an automotive enthusiast, I think that's one of the beauties of Jeep specifically is they yeah. attract people who were not really into vehicles before. It's kind of like a gateway vehicle. Or you know? they always thought vehicles were cool, but I didn't go this far. I didn't modify it. I, I didn't, didn't modify my Honda Pilot before yeah. my Jeep. Yeah, right? I still thought, you know, that Chevelle was cool or that old truck right. was cool, that right. kind of stuff. The thing is, um, folks, that it's there's a number of conditions that are necessary for your vehicle to operate or for you to pleasantly experience your vehicle. And oftentimes these systems are very interconnected. One of the big uh, pieces here is the fact that your heat inside your vehicle Mm -hmm. is actually reliant on the the cooling system of your engine platform itself. Um, As a side note, it's actually one of the brief challenges that our EV vehicles are experiencing because a hundred plus years of automotive technology, we've been utilizing the heating and cooling system or the cooling system of our combustion engines to forever. forever. We've been doing that using that as our heating system for our cabin mm-hmm. um, in the vehicle experience. John and is online asking, did you say pedantic because I'm online? We'll be back after a quick break. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. (laughs) 
<laughs> I did not, John, uh, but you're welcome, right? <laughs> and because I know Joe Brill is online, I felt, uh, you know what I meant to address for Joe? Joe asked a very good uh, a question this morning, technical, uh, and he reached out uh, privately. But I'm going to go ahead and do it for all of our listeners and for our, our viewing audience. And I meant to, uh, to do this. And we talk about minutiae of how our vehicles work. And this system on our JK starting in uh, certainly 2012, when we get into the 3.6 platform. In the, uh, the 3.6 platform, you specifically have an oil cooler assembly uh, that is center top mounted of the engine itself. There is um, uh, a couple sensors and uh, that are in that that are actually part of the cooling system. The coolant temp sensor is in there. No. Oh. Oh no! Excuse me. The oil, t- the oil temp sensor Correct, is, yes. is what I was oil meaning to say. Oil and oil temp. Is That's what point. I was meaning to say. Excuse yep. me. Oil uh, temp and pressure is in there. And one of the things that Joe was asking, we've certainly run into uh, as an industry with vehicles. Um, because there is cooling jackets that run through there Correct. as well. And that's why I think it's it's valuable to uh, differentiate, but also talk about it in this moment. Well, that's how you cool the oil is you have to have it touch the antifreeze somehow. Right. And that's they're not actually touching, folks. They're yes. actually, uh, you know, there is a aluminum wall in between them. Yes. And the coolant is flowing on one side of the, the quote-unquote jacket or journal, yep. and the oil is flowing on the other side. And it's transferring but the heat. It's transferring the heat between yeah. the two. Now, this is the this is the important part um, for, of this conversation that oftentimes you will get an oil uh, pressure uh, sensor code mm-hmm. uh, shortly after an oil change. And the question is, uh, why does that happen? And the issue is that in our newest vehicles, the viscosity uh, or the weight of the oil, the quality of the oil can be picked up on those sensors yeah. specifically in that uh, in that assembly there. Basically, the easy way to think about it is resolution. Uh, old vehicles, you had a very bad resolution and things would still function. So the 36, if it's a 15 to 20 degree difference on something, it doesn't care. Now, mm-hmm. when you say resolution, what are you talking about? I'm literally about? talking about like, a, a, you know, a the clarity of a picture. The clarity of a picture. So if you go back to when we were kids and we had the old, you know, piece of furniture that was a tube TV and we kept getting closer because, you know, the picture sucked, uh, that was not a good resolution. Now today we have our 80-inch TV that, you know, Neil can't have in his house because it's so little. (laughs) Can't back up enough and we'll get the picture in frame. And I have all the big TVs at this point. That's why I called him out on it. That's fine. Oh, goodness. Anyway. So as you uh, increase your resolution, you're actually making the parts that make the picture smaller, which then makes it more accurate. And that's what our newer vehicles do is they just continually make things closer and closer measured. The tolerance. The tolerance gets closer. Yes. So the accuracy increases. So the idea that years ago, uh, we used to joke, uh, certainly we still do with some of our vintage vehicles, as long as the dipstick is wet, the vehicle is happy, right? Pretty much. Now, our newest Jeeps That's also why they get three to eight miles of the gallon and smoked and... Oh, yeah. The rings were... Yeah, yeah, everything was clapping around in there. Now, they would... You could literally park them underneath an oak tree and ignore them for 30 
30 years and go out and kick it and and it, it would, would fire, fire up, up again and, and youtube is full of that right now yes. and people are, are enamored with that i want to see somebody do that with a new technology vehicle that's yes. been sitting for 10 years it's, it's just flat it does out happen but, but it's less but it's less yeah and the idea that right now the tolerances are so tight on uh how those those the sensors are are engineered what the sensor the, the parameters that the sensors are actually looking for um that an oil change itself with a poor quality oil or the wrong viscosity of oil right. can in fact uh trigger a check engine light or um, some other type of adverse condition out of your vehicle. And that's another situation where you can have a, a, I'll give you a new Scott term, garage engineer. Someone that thinks they have an engineering background, but they've never took a lick of their training on it. A garage engineer. So they're, they're going to go and they're going to make it, their, uh, you know, 2018 JK better than the uh, t staff and team of engineers at Jeep did. Now, I know that sounds double-edged because then we go along and modify the suspension and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, it's a little back secret. Jeep knows we're going to do that and plans that into the design. Oh, yeah. They, and, and they've been planning that for decades. Yes. They understand that it is a DIY-friendly market, yes. and that's who they're engineering for. Where it does not <laughs> apply is uh, what oil viscosity they planned out and picked. Uh, what temperature they expect that Jeep to run at, well, that and, kind of stuff. And that's exactly a great, great segue. So, Joe, yep. there's your answer for you and anybody else who's listening to, to understand why an oil change could trigger a check engine light. Um, that is that is kind of inherently it. It could be the wrong weight or quality oil for the tolerance that the sensor wants to see yep. uh, succinctly. However, to use your term of garage engineer, mm. I am oftentimes when I'm out at shows or in a how-to situation or kind of publicly speaking, I am oftentimes confronted by a garage engineer, using yes. your term, yep. and to say that uh, Jeeps at this point in time traditionally uh, or, or typically our new JKs are running close to 220 degrees. Yes, and they uh, freak out. And they freak out. Yes. Why is that, listeners? Because your Chevy small block... <laughs> would have been puking antifreeze everywhere and would have cracked and fallen apart yeah and you'd be stranded on the side of the road in your bias ply tires and, and honestly this is what gave me the idea for this topic today because uh obviously i have a vast expanse of vehicle interest so i in one side have a flathead ford uh, from 1947 in my 36 Ford, plus I had experience with the original 36 motor uh, so we're talking you know 80 Seven, six, I don't know. I don't do math quick in my head. It's good. So it's over 80 years old. Sure. Technology in that. Plus, I've played with flatheads in uh, Willys, which were designed in the 20s. I was going to say, I think it's almost 90 years old at it's this It's getting point. close. Yeah, we're pushing 90. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, and then, you know, I have uh, a 2015 JK that is uh, currently... Soon oh, I'm going to totally off. squirrel on you. I yeah. had to look up last night. Um, <clears throat> fun fact, because I was watching... Uh, a commercial, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there was a Ford commercial. It was a really nice, well-done Ford commercial, mm -hmm. and it was talking about how Ford has had a positive impact um, on humanity yep. for over 120 years. They and like I to think that. And I thought, well, uh, that's, <laughs> that's a whole a other topic. Yeah, that's, another, that's another. That's a holdover from yeah, Henry yeah. himself. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, totally. I took a page out of Henry's book. Unfortunately, 100%. I can uh, unfortunately I can identify with him entirely too much. Uh -oh. So so I was I was I was I don't know that, that I would claim that, but okay. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> uh, hey, if a spade is a spade, I'm gonna say it. 
So uh, I, I couldn't help but go, 120 years? I was like, wow, you're really bold, Ford, right? Yeah. So I had to look up, uh, when was when is it credited? And you might know this, but maybe we'll throw it on Jeffrey since he really likes to give us obscure, worthless, and wrong, uh, and wrong information. <laughs> but I read... Right, Jeffrey? Right. When was the Jeep created? 1943. B.S. Jeffrey. Um, <laughs> if you don't know what that's about, folks, you're going to want to we'll dig back. back in our in the podcast. Look up Jeep either. Jeopardy. Find it. Look up Jeep, Jeep Jeopardy. Jeopardy. You will Jeff find... lying Jeep Jeopardy. Will, that's what we'll call it. You will find the answers and the explanations to those They're answers. garbage, just so you know. Yeah. Hot garbage. Jeffrey, when was Ford credited with creating uh, uh, his first vehicle? And do you have an answer? Would you know? Because uh, I knew what I so thought I knew. The problem is, is Ford started and collapsed like 16 times. And that's before, fine. Before that's it fine. Was founded, I'm telling so. you, the commercial said, the commercial said 120 plus years. So yeah. what do you guys think the, the, the credited uh, first, uh, the kind of the original year? 1904. So I wrong. thought, I thought, I, I, I'm glad I could be wrong for you. I wanted to encourage I, that for I you. I think I'm, the current Ford brand that we know was 1903, I think. But I could be wrong. Well, this is fine. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna then, venture one was, more guest. But uh, two, two quick things. So he started like three times before that. Uh, the one right before what we currently have was called the Henry Ford Company. That is now Cadillac. Uh, they actually t be, kicked him out and took over. They took and the product it. line, yeah. Uh, which is why Cadillac is like this much older than Ford is. And Henry was actually who started Cadillac. But anyway, uh, so it really depends on when you pick because he was building cars well. Before. So the issue is when was his first car built? I'm going right? to go with 1886, and I don't know why that number is in my head, but I'm going to go with 1886. 1896. Okay. On the Ford Quadricycle. Yeah. So they and went I think right that back that's to the beginning. They're going back to the beginning because I was like 120 plus years. Yeah. I'm all about, uh, you know, 1904 to 1909. Perspective. This you know, is somewhere the car there. he built in his shed in Detroit. Uh, behind Correct. his house. Correct. And he built the part of the motor in his kitchen. But hey, if I'm going to, if Dar I'm going to, Darla claim, was correct. I'm, I'm guessing she researched, but maybe she knew 1896. Or maybe and, she does math good in her head. So maybe. I'm telling <laughs> you, but the thing is, I mean, ultimately, if you talk about the first Jeep that I parted, yeah. I was 16 years old, right? See, and I kind of struggle with that because that, that is like really pushing, like, the was, abstract of, yeah. of how we market ourselves. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting. Oh, you mean I'm, it's like Jeep in 1941? I, mean, I was touching a... No, Jeffrey. <laughs> no, Jeffrey. 1941 is what the rest of the world actually I, knows to be put, true. If we want to put it in four terms, you know, there's a picture of me in my diaper pulling a floor jack around in the garage. So, therefore, I've been the mechanic since, you know... <laughs> Like We've certainly one. run into those guys. So you've and got those how many guys, years experience welding? <laughs> and those guys are the garage engineers we yes. were talking about with cooling. Well, because they've been there, they are themselves forty-five years old, but they've been working in the garage for fifty-six years. Yes, hundred percent. You know, and, and I, I can identify that because I have been that person, and only because I've gone to college and took some engineering courses and had some humble pie now and then and realized that maybe I didn't know everything. Yes. And I actually went and researched some stuff that I can go back and I go, I understand why they designed it this way. I may not like it. I may not think 
it's fun to work on. I, well, I think one of the unique perspectives that this specific uh, brand that SFJ 4x4 brings to the table is we know a lot of the engineers now. Yes. We've actually physically got to meet and talk with yep. uh, engineers that are at the highest levels of, of performance. So whether yep. it be suspension geometry, uh, axle, you know, axle, axle uh, manufacturing, yep. or actually at the mothership themselves, some of these amazing individuals who who did build the Jeep so that we as a DIY market could indulge in them, and right? I'll, I'll give you another background thing is when when something comes up and bites you, it's when you didn't put a lot of thought into it. So it's you're building this, you know, custom axle and you're you're doing it on CAD and you go, oh, I'm just going to put this breather tube. I'm just going to make something up here. At that time, you're, you literally have a whole wall and you have a dartboard. And it doesn't matter where that goes. Yep. Clean slate. That will bite you later because you didn't plan for it yes and i don't care if you're building a a traditional hot rod in your garage and you think oh i'm just going to put this blah here because it's a clean slate then later you start adding things on layer upon layer now suddenly that's a problem you have to build it like a blueprint you literally you know when i was in uh, drafting school they taught you that you built your your foundation then you built your your structure and you did what's called layers in your your autocad uh, and then you can turn them on and off. And when you turn on all the layers, when the house is all drawn, it is chaos because you have electrical, you have plumbing, you have framing, you right. have foundation, you have insulation. Everything has to cohesively exist together. And now suddenly, while well, that outlet can't be there, it has to be three inches to the left and four inches higher. Sure. Or the breather tube is now, uh, you know, in the, the control arm, in the control arm <laughs> or, you know, impacting the exhaust because yes. the exhaust has to run or, a quarter inch from the control. And arm. now I had to move the control arm over three quarters of an inch. And now that is contacting this when you flex it here. Yep. So 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 the objective is not necessarily to to unpack the engineering process for people, but to kind of tell you where our newest Jeeps are. Yes. Because ultimately that sometimes they concept, have no choice. They have to put put what you look as foolish or, or a pain sure. that specifically spot in that spot because they have no other choice. So I think it's valuable to contextualize and say that years ago, and and I always tell people that we are operating within about a 20-year ripple effect. Yep. So environmentally, uh, socially, uh, politically, whatever is happening in the world, there is a core group of, of highly dedicated individuals creating think, change think, at the, the think epicenter. Tank almost. At a think tank or, or something that is trending or changing right at the epicenter of that industry. The rest of us, if you are not involved in vehicular technology, you're just an enthusiast who's just, just now consuming a JL or JT at 2023, 2024. I got to be honest, the, the, the foundation, the blueprints, the engineers who started their career, they were developing that stuff 20 years ago. Yeah. The technology that we're seeing there, um, you know, geopolitically, things are happening at an epicenter. Now, uh, in, in, in conversations in rooms that are going to infect, uh, that are going to affect us in 15, 20 years, right? Yep. And so that is the concept of, of how things are intended to work. So many years ago, uh, under carbureted technology, um, you had the cooler the engine ran and cold, dense air mm-hmm. made that vehicle 10 times happier. 100%. Right? You go back, uh, I would say, early 60s, before any emission controls at all, where it didn't matter how uh, pollutants- 60s and before the fuel crisis of the 70s. Happened. 
the cooler that motor ran, the better it was. Yes. So uh, that was the general rule. General right? rule, and and we have forgotten that we've gone through some stuff. Yes. As garage engineers. <laughs> yes. To to understand why we do what we do now. Uh, so in my thirty six or uh, you know a fifty one or fifty two M thirty eight over there. We want that Jeep to run cool. So we're going to run a, a, you know, a max, a 160 thermostat. Yes. Because we want that thermostat to open and we want that coolant to circulate. That is what a thermostat is, is a valve. It basically, uh, you can simulate one with just a basic ball valve. You shut it off or you open it up. That's basically what a thermostat's doing. It's holding that coolant in the motor to give it time to transfer that temperature from the cast iron or the aluminum over to the water or media that is there for that. <clears throat> Once it gets to a certain temperature, yep. that valve uh, senses that, it opens, and uh, exchange happens. The radiator and the block interchange. So now we have our hot water in the radiator. We have our cool water in the motor, and the cycle continually repeats. Well, and that's what I was going to unpack as just a, a, a general overview of what the cooling system of both our older vehicles and our modern-day vehicles now. Uh, we have our engine block itself, yep. uh, which has cooling jackets. And it's important to note that think of the cooling system of your vehicle as a series of tunnels that touch the engine. They're never actually getting burnt they're never yeah. actually getting consumed it should be a system that just it's just kind sealed, of it's the isolated system yes that that circulates around your engine so you have your engine block jackets themselves uh you have your heater core uh or your auxiliary heater that that you know yep. would be in our vintage vehicles you have your thermostat and thermostat housing. Again, that's the valve that, that Scott was mentioning. Um, and arguably then we have our radiator and a radiator cap, yep. uh, which is, which is you know, valuable for the conversation. Then you have some type of fan um, and water pump. Yep. So that is our big, like the big moving pieces. Unless you go back far enough and they're actually gravity- they're not even water pumps <laughs> or air cooled VW bug, just, whatever. I listen, stop, Scott, stop. <laughs> Nobody listening cares about Ford quadricycles at yes. this point. So, uh, so we have these big moving pieces that are intended to help circulate yes. and cool in the process. Yep. And again, the back in the day with the carbureted and the cast iron blocks, the yes. cooler that vehicle worked, the cold, dense air, the, the more efficient it was. it was, the better it was. Yes. Um, at this point but in it time, it wasn't efficient. That no. is the important. Mm. Uh, the resolution was very poor. We were yes. looking at a very blurry picture. When, when gas was 16 cents or 10 cents a gallon, we didn't care yes. what kind of mileage we got. We just cared that it ran. Yep. We could look cool. Yes. Squill the tires Super a little bit. Super cool. Go through the gears and get where we were going. That's yes. that's what mattered. Uh, today, you know, at you know four bucks a gallon, we care a little bit more about what our mileage gets. Yes. Uh, even those guys in those big, huge, you know, Ch Chuck Norris vehicles, we still kind of care if we're getting, you know, five miles a, little a bit. gallon. A Just little a little bit. bit. Yes. We're, we're hoping for 12, yes. if we have to be honest. And and so the cooling system in itself, we have a couple vital pieces of it. And and we were, you started talking about thermostats specifically. Yep. Because we were talking about thermostat rationality codes. Yep. We'd actually talk briefly about that oil cooling assembly on the 3.6 engines. Yep. Uh, because we do have a cooling jacket that allows uh, that radiator fluid to flow, to exchange the heat. Yep. Uh, Jeffrey was mentioning that 
that's transferring, that's pull, a, it's pulling heat out of the oil into the cooling jacket. That's not a new technology by any stretch. No, uh, no. A lot of our, you know, 80s and 90s pickup trucks uh, had that kind of technology. It was a little differently designed than the way Jeep did it. Jeep was going right into the heart of the motor for it. Uh, where the heat is the most yes uh before they would try to do almost like an afterthought stick it on by the oil filter which actually is like almost last in the oil circulatory system yes so this way jeep's trying to get a more efficient transfer of that heat get rid of the heat quicker in the heart of the motor where it really matters but at the same time we want it to run a hotter temperature because that is when you get a better uh, atomization of fuel. That's when you get a better burn. Mm -hmm. uh, it's getting less carbon uh, deposits and bad stuff out the exhaust. So therefore the environment and the trees are happier. Mm -hmm. uh, that is why your JK and up vehicles run 120, 130 degrees because that is actually where it's designed. 220, 230? Um, yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. We're like, wow, we're running really cold. Like, wow, we really cooled down here. Yeah. But Scott does that sometimes. Yeah, the so efficiency of the coolant system. Yeah. I had my yeah. head right. That's <laughs> anyway, that's why we're 220, 230. Yes. Uh, it's you, not out of the question. It's not out of the question. Where you have to stop and go, is it overheating? Is the vehicle flashing lights at me? No, then leave it alone. It's designed to do that. And uh, what JK's, what stirred this is, uh, you know, my 15 JK had this code and it was saying uh, thermostat rationality. I had to wrap my head of what does this mean? Now it was an overheating, it was driving appropriately. And the crazy part is, is during the summer, it actually would go away because we're dealing in a hot 80 degree day. Uh, then when it would get cold, it would come back. Well, what that code means is that the Jeep is not warming up quickly enough for the computer. Yes. Which therefore means we've stepped back 20 years in technology. The Jeep is now running colder than it's supposed to be, but it can still run. It mm -hmm. can still burn fuel. It can still get you where you want to go. Now, the argument is, is maybe you actually were getting 16 miles a gallon, not that 18 you could have got. Right. Or, or it could even be closer than that. The parameters of the computer are engineered so that there is a number of inputs that need to be followed for the computer yeah. to be happy. Oftentimes we talk about it as a window, yep. uh, that the computer is looking at all of the sensors and the uh, operation of the vehicle through this window. And ultimately when we say that, it's just an XY axis graph, right? Yep. And the inputs and mapping of that ECM expects to see certain data points yep. fall within this window for it to be uh, appropriately on track on track to do what it was originally engineered to do. Yep. Much like, um, you know, we talk about the four panes of the window. It really wants to see the grouping of those sensor inputs kind of around the center of that XY axis. Yes. What eventually can happen as parts and pieces de depreciate as a vehicle wears out, those plots or those points plotted on the on that XY axis can actually gravitate to the outside edge yep. of the window pane itself. And now the computer is going to tell you that. So now you the computer is going to tell you that. Sensor. In this instance, uh, you know, there was no bad sensor or anything like that operationally it just was running colder than it should correct um, so i was able to go in thankfully our newer jeeps have very nice gauges you were able to go in and see the temperature of the jeep i was able to start it up i was able to start driving and go huh 
that's staying at 80 degrees and then it's staying at 100 degrees right very slowly increasing and we're not ever getting oh really over 180 degrees and what really stemmed this is is uh you know as much as i try not to i'm on you know groups online and someone else was dealing with this code because it's getting cold all the yes. jeeps are yelling at their owners yep and they don't understand the way the Jeep was designed. And they're telling them to go with an aftermarket thermostat no hotter than 180 degrees. Correct. And what, eh, wrong. What, what really like made me want to just word vomit on this when I had to like shut it off and put the phone away was she, this person had actually changed the thermostat and corrected their issue. But now their fan was cycling, which right. it wasn't doing before. No joke. It was too cold. And they were scared by the fact that the fan was doing its job and therefore something has to be wrong and on a jk the fan is very integrated it actually has multiple speeds it's very almost variable speed so it is very it's a pwm fan uh pwm technology comes out uh with our 12s and it's spectacular folks yeah. so you've never seen a better fan system so long as you don't baja it and fill it with red rock dust joe brilla and <laughs> Um, and it just wow. worked called out at phenomenally. All. Holy cow. It is absolutely we one of the most We don't normally call out robot. customers. I don't know what's <laughs> happening over here today. I love Woo. that. I, <laughs> it's sorry, the most Joe. robust <laughs> Well, because it is the most robust fan. How does somebody destroy the PWM fan? It's literally <laughs> a smart that. technology he fan. He saw those commercials. We saw it. He's like, I'm going to do yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. He was like, challenge accepted, <laughs> right? So it's one of the most robust fans. Don't worry, Joe. I'll make, sure, of, I'll, I'll make sure Neil gives you a hug next time. That's uh, right. That's yeah. right. Um, oh. As as far as the way that the fan works, it is almost it's an infi in, in, infinite, infinite variable yeah. fan speeds. Yes. Um, no longer do we have on or off or oh. high or low. Yes. The fan can actually spool up and spool down where the computer sees and needs it to be based yep. on these inputs and yes. based on the operating temperature of and, the engine. And honestly, that's when I knew I had it fixed because all it was was a, a thermostat that was getting weak. It was not holding the temperature it should. I changed the thermostat. I properly bled the system, got the air out of it. I let it run, and I heard the fan come on low. And I watched the temperature, and it started to stabilize. It got a little higher on the speed. I watched it started to crest and, and fall, and the fan went out. And I went, "Yes, Jeep's happy. Yes. And this is the biggest piece that I can't hum or hammer home enough for people in our newest technology platforms is that if it is, I don't, I don't care if it's 300 degrees outside or if yeah. it's 30 degrees outside, your, your JKs want to run around 210, 212, 15 I'd degrees. I'd say 210 is almost too cold. It, it's really is that 220 well, range. It, it will, it will cycle itself. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so whether it's hot or whether it's cold, that Jeep is engineered to come up and hold temperature above 200 and, and, and what it is is a lot of us long-term jeepers are ruined because you know we, we remember our old four liters and our tjs or our xjs and if we were right in the middle was 210 yes and that is why they took those numbers away on the newer vehicles is yes. they just have middle and and over here is red and that's bad and over there because we would look at that gauge and, and well the two was our oil pressure we wanted to see 40 yes which yes. is right in the center and we wanted to say 210 and if you're an XJ owner when you're traumatized like I am and you're in you know a drive through and you're slowly watching that needle you're you know, watching the the temperature needle creep up and yes, the oil pressure creep down, down. Yes. yes and you're watching okay now I'm a needle's width past the 210 and now I'm two needle width past the 210 <laughs> yes, and yes. You, and the sweat is coming down your brow 
and you're like, come on, grandma, I need to get through this and I need to go drive my Jeep and get it cooled off because our cooling systems are just beating themselves to death. Be before yeah. you're taking an X-J break in before, the drive-thru. Before you're doing yes. an X-J. Where you're popping the hood. <laughs> yes. I like to pop my hood in the drive-thru and allow the heat. Sadly, just make grandma go, what is happening? I'm going to take less or more time now. Yes. Yep. Everybody's concerned now. Yes. Uh, that's, that is so, so, so and, true. And that is why your JK doesn't do that. Cause it is able to handle that appropriately. Just right. for, just for fun. Uh, daddy Jeep had commented, Nick Ashby was telling me that the CTS V motor in the rock buggy is designed to run at 260 degrees. Yep. Not a bit surprised. I was going to say, I mean, ultimately, uh, that makes sense. And we're going to see that based on a number of things that you've already said, as far as, uh, carbon atomization. Yep. Um, tight tolerances with yep. appropriate uh, oil uh, jacketing and cooling. Yep. And this idea that as we make the engines more efficient, that hotter temperature actually is a prescribed, uh, you know, it's a prescribed number. Mm -hmm. We actually need to see it operating there for all of our systems to work. Because again, whether it's super hot or super cold, and it comes back to that fan, yep. um, when it's super hot, that fan kicks on like a, a jet turbine yes. and, and cools it down. You know, yeah. that's or actually like my 36 was designed. The fan's just running all the time. The fan is if just a hard fan. Not. Correct. Right. Yeah. Incredibly inefficient processes. Yes. Um, and this ripple effect that I, I continue to talk about, we as an automotive industry are just living in the ripple effect of technology of 60, 80 years of engineering that was just subpar. Yeah. And and now the or reality for the time, but but now we know better. Right. By today's standards, and, it was and, subpar. And so one step further is something I hear constantly because I'm in the vintage sector. Uh, my CJ's heat sucks. Yes, it does. Because you're 258 at you know 210 is too hot so therefore you don't have the the heat to make your heater give you that warmth correct my wife's with a four liter swap so it thinks it's a 1995 yes so it wants to run 210 the heat is awesome yes and it's the same design it, it, as far as the heater core it, and yeah. the heater box and all, all i had to do was put a slightly better blower motor in it that, that is correct that the original ones sucked right uh but that thing will burn you out of the Jeep. Sure. Because now I am running a hotter coolant through the heater core, which gives it a better chance of warming me up. Right. Well, and that's why that... I, I've, you, anybody that's owned a JK's, it will almost melt your hand off. Right. But of course, and, and if we talk about your, your father and his uh, impression of older Jeeps, yes. they're cold and they're drafty. Yes. Right. Well, and that's because our, our intention was to try and make the vehicle run as cool as possible. Yes. Therefore, the you engines. don't have any heat. Therefore, you don't have any heat as an individual <laughs> yourself. So this then brings up a conversation I was having over the weekend with uh, some folks regarding, again, electric vehicles and my own interest there. And the fact that when we have hybrid electric vehicles, ones that are utilizing, um, like our 4 by es that are utilizing uh, a minimally motor. a combustion-based motor, we need that motor still to reach operating temperature. Yes. And that is a challenge that combustion-driven engines that do not reach a prescribed engineered operating temperature never get to that level of atomization and carbon and carbon burnoff. And one step further, even you know, everyone at some point has experienced uh, different types of heating in a house: uh, forced air versus a boiler, hot water system versus an electric system. Though those heats feel different. Uh, I've heard people, the boiler's heat just feels like I can feel it in my core. It's a more of a normal heat. 
that is what our cars have been for the last 80 years sure. or so. Uh, the, the, so. Ironically, the 36 was sort of uh, a forced air originally. It was heat wafted off the manifold and you kind of slightly opened up in, a vent and yes, let it. You wafted it into the car and you froze your tail off. But that is actually less efficient because now you're hoping the air absorbs some of the heat and you're hoping the air goes where it's supposed to go and it warms you well, you're, up. Well, you're counting on the manifold and the heads to burn the air around yes. them. Yes. And then and that then air away. to just kind of magically drift into the cabin yes. via uh, an opening. Yes. You know? With all the exhaust gases and everything That's else. That's <laughs> fine. That's why the car's drafty. It's, That's it's right. character development. Yes. Yep. And then we all know electric heat is yet a different mode so if you have a fully electric vehicle what are we going to use for heat we're going to use some sort of electric heat so you can't expect the same feel of yes. that heat so someone going from you know you've driven a, a gasoline water-cooled car for the last 30 years and you suddenly get an electric car it is not going to be what you expect it to be right it will it's have a different experience different yep because the technology is physically different not, yeah. not saying that it won't heat you it's Correct. just going to feel different and, and right. it, it might it's might. like walking into a sauna it's, yes it's so humid and hot yes but that's it a, feels different than the dry heat of the Southwest, correct? 100%. Right, and and so that's how we experience things as individuals. Is this is this conversation, <laughs> and how going forward, uh, we're going to you know deal with the engineering, the cooling, the heating systems in the right here and now. The big takeaway that we're trying to share, as far as these parts and pieces are concerned, is the the operation of the thermostat as far as this functionality as a valve yep. of allowing the engine to come up to temperature and then doing the heat exchange both for the preservation and efficiency of the engine yep. the cooling of the oil and the combustion process uh and and obviously uh our EPA based processes yep um but then also for us to experience as individuals in the cabin, yep. you know, as it gets and, uh, cooler out. And I feel like I have to just for two seconds because somebody in the comments otherwise will say it. There is, especially in the early Ford camp, uh, there's a bunch of 80-year-olds sitting around going, I don't need any thermostats in my early Ford. To a point, depending on your climate, how much you use the car, what you expect the car to do, you might not need it because a thermostat can open and just be open and that coolant can circulate. But the problem goes is when you get into a less ideal situation, say suddenly now I got up against uh, traffic and now I cannot move to appropriately cool that off. Well, in our thermostat equipped vehicles, that valve will shut and now it allows that differentiation to happen. That vehicle that doesn't have one is never going to do that. Yep. It will eventually just continue to rise to the point of no return, and then it will overheat. Correct. Uh, and that water will expand and puke out. That is literally where that comes from. So that, in a nutshell, is why you should have a thermostat, and that is why some people get away without a thermostat and then think that is gospel. Right. This and, is the concept of just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and <clears throat> if you have any questions for us uh, we're happy to answer. I'm actually really passionate about the audit, the oddities, the the efficiencies of heating and cooling of the vehicles, the temperature exchange. Yeah. Um, our our newest vehicles require all the parts and pieces to be working harmoniously with each other, yep. and they'll they'll be incredibly robust. I mean, our newest Jeeps are running hundreds of thousands of miles yep. without uh, too many hiccups. Um, 
And so if you have questions, you know, feel free to, uh, to email us, to hit us up on our text only number. Uh, we're happy to share with you, uh, our experience, but also work, you know, walk you through, uh, what's going on with your Jeep? Yeah. I've actually and one why. of the things, it's and why one of the things that we're doing uh, a fair amount of recently, folks, and you'll see this uh, listed under our services portion of our website, sfj4x4.com, is remote consultations. Uh, we're basically billing on the half an hour. It's a FaceTime uh, consultation, so that if you are out of state, uh, whether it be a a pseudo crawlover inspection because you're trying to purchase a Jeep, uh, but maybe you're trying to do some diagnostics and you just want one of us as professionals to weigh in on what you're looking at or what you're experiencing. Um, we would love to have a free customer service line for everybody, but the reality is we are so inundated with calls yeah. and walk-ins and all and other we, things. And we got Jeeps to build. And we have Jeeps to build for our customers. And we appreciate your support and your uh, you as a listener, uh, as a viewer, um, but the reality is we we obviously can't be there for every single person. So uh, we are doing these remote consultations. So we're happy to you know help you through that process and understanding the efficiencies you, of the vehicle. We meet you where you are in your project, <laughs> be it with parts, knowledge, or doing the whole thing. Yep. Yeah. Now, so, before we do anything further, real quick, John is in the comments saying, have the same talk about oil temps. I think that's a great topic for our next podcast. Definitely. In the, in um, the very near future, sure. At the, at the very least, yeah. And then Chip's saying, today's lesson I learned is I am glad I have SFJ, so I don't need to know all of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can appreciate that, but we do want to share yes. with you. you, um, you and I know have to understand all the minute minutia, but if I give you a general understanding of how the system works and why, then you have a better understanding of why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. Exactly. And I think that one of the biggest advantages to the to the our brick and mortar process many years ago for me was to 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 take away some of the magic wand of the automotive industry. Yep. Right? All too long we had the consumer and the professional experience and the professional, you know, yeah. they didn't they were above having to explain themselves. I shouldn't have to explain myself to you. You know, I just I fixed it and it's right now. And if you don't like it, then you're wrong. Yeah. And I I just boils my blood yep. uh, having that mentality exist in the automotive industry, but we know that it did, yeah. and it still continues and, to in some regards. And there are still consumers out there that like that mentality. They don't care to know all the little details, yeah. but most of our customers, <clears throat> at least to an extent, are DIYers. I, I've had and more want people to understand tell me, more of it. thank you for trying to slowing down, explaining that to me. Now I have a better understanding of my vehicle. I feel more at ease. I feel confident now with what i want to do correct that's what i want i have succeeded i have been successful that day when i hear that from my customers well and ultimately even if our uh <clears throat> our, our customers and followers don't understand the extent of what we're explaining mm -hmm. um there is the the relationship established that we're going to continue to attempt to educate and ultimately the underpinnings of what makes sfj 4x4 different is the idea of our, our three-part process of educate document make the customer happy right and this idea that it starts with education it starts with uh helping that customer an individual feel like they're an important part of owning their vehicle. I, I think the, the biggest <clears throat> factor is the fact that it's not an inconvenience for us to take that time with you as a customer. Right. No doubt. 100%. So we're going to, uh, are we going to do a transition or are we just going to jump right Let's into jump SEMA? Into it. Folks, we're going to tell you briefly about uh, SEMA and why you should care and why is it valuable that we as a, a professional institution are present there. Let's start with what is SEMA? 
Yeah. So, uh, and what is Apex? Because they're both going on at the same. Yeah, point. and that's absolutely uh, a, a valuable thing to understand. That um, all too often there are uh, that these things are lumped into one uh, one experience. So, happening in Las Vegas is um, are are these two incredibly substantial automotive events. They are unlike anything you have ever experienced before. That is just flat out no other way to explain it. No event that you have, uh, automotive event, no automotive event that you have ever attended uh, is similar to the two shows that are happening in Las Vegas uh, come this week. Uh, ultimately, SEMA is what uh, what I would refer to as the retailer-friendly uh, show. That is the one that you're going to see all the pictures. Uh, it is important to me as a business that we are early to market with the the content and the experiences that you as the consumer definitely, you know, desperately yeah. want to be involved. That's in. where someone's going to release a new product. They're going to release a new build. They're going to have new ideas. They're going to have that kind of stuff. And it's important to note that SEMA's in basically two parts. There's an outside part that every car enthusiast can attend. And they have built that up to people think that, oh, it's a car show. Well, there's an inside thing that is professionals. That's more of a a, a vendor um, Basically aftermarket like a support. trade show of sorts. A trade show. Thank you. That's the word that I was looking Where for. Where those inside. people, uh, you know, Neil is able to go up to uh, Skyjacker and talk to the engineer and talk to the uh, analysts and say, okay, this is what products we are using, they are using. This is what problems we're having. These are the logistics. This is the conversation. We go back to the engineers where yes. we actually get to know some of uh, the axle and yes. the, the actual Jeep engineers. Not that the Jeep engineers necessarily will be at SEMA, right. but the axle engineers will be. Yes. Um, this is some of the suspension components, some and, of the steering manufacturers. And we can go in and we can be like, hey, we installed this. We heard a bump, a squeak, and a clang. And then go, really? Oh, I only experienced a bump in the squeak. And this is the fix for the bump in the squeak. Cool. Here's this product that will fix that bump and squeak, but we got to look into that clang and that kind of stuff. And and I just to to build off of your concept alone. Um, <clears throat> so let me go back one step and then get, jump forward into what you were saying. SEMA is the aftermarket manufacturer, so yep. Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association. This is specifically intended not to be Jeep, Chrysler, Dodge, Ford, the the big. OE yeah. manufacturers, right? This is going to be Elderbrock and Holly and yes. all those big names. Yes. That if you've had two seconds in the car industry, you know these names. Uh, you know, your, your wheel manufacturers, your lift kit manufacturers, uh, your step manufacturers, all that stuff. Yep. Those, all those people are there. So, so we have the Specialty Equipment Manufacturing Association. Now, the, what gets a little gets a little fuzzy is that uh, the motherships, the Lantis, then does have what they consider to be their aftermarket division. Yes, right, and they're um, there. And they're there. Ford has their aftermarket division, yeah. and, and they're there. And they've been trying to do more of that because they see our market and they want a piece of that pie. Exactly. That is why your Wrangler and your Jake. T and that, et cetera, has been ex designed from the beginning because someone's going to lift it, because someone's going to change Correct. the bumper, that kind of stuff. They look at that 
years in advance before that ever hits the dealer. Correct. Block. That epicenter that's happening 20 years in advance of what hits the consumer market. Yeah. That's exactly what Scott is talking about. Now, the bump, the squeak, and the clang is valuable to say that um, I am very proud of the uh, amount of rock slide engineering power steps that we do um, in the area that we do them. Yeah. We are actually one of the leading uh, rock slide engineering power step installation facilities east of the Mississippi because um, because of our relationship with them. We outfit a lot of Jeeps with these uh, arguably really quality cool steps. They're not always been perfect. Yeah. And there's some tweaks and, and changes because ultimately RSE has attempted to create a robust, impact-resistant, functional slider. They've done something no one else has wanted to do. They're going to give you a, a automated step with a power motor, and they're going to expect it to be able to drug over a boulder yes. repeatedly. With the full weight of your vehicle. For the full weight of your vehicle. And then you get off that obstacle, open the door, the step comes out, and you step out comfortably. Correct. Nobody else is willing to do that, right? And yet, you know, this manufacturer is. Now, our relationship with them. And Chip's, um, Chip's in here going, love mine, and Oscar will be getting some next year. Excellent. Excellent. And they are. They're fantastic steps for, for functional purposes. Our relationship uh, ultimately is hinged on our ability to call up RSE and be like, yo, something is not right in this moment. How yes. can we address X, Y, and Z? Uh, the, the most recent would be the 2024. And this is exactly where I was going, right? We, we yeah. literally just had a 2024 with rock slides, and it was the first one we've done those install well on. rse themselves we were actually helping beta the process because rse had not had the product available for 2024s yet right we yeah. are all as again epicenter conversation not the stuff that our general consumer is understanding about us but us as professionals within the industry going hey i think we can do this yeah it, right and to, to lift the veil a little bit most uh aftermarket shops are not huge shops uh, that produce these awesome products. They are small, probably twenty dedicated or, team, twenty or less people yes. in, employed there. They do not have the R and D millions of dollars and, and, and for R and D. And you all have owned a vehicle that has broken in the warranty period and had to go back to the dealer and had a repair done. That de uh, vehicle was designed by. Uh, engineer team that had millions of dollars of development and spent 15 to 20 years to develop that and they still have problems correct so when you have an aftermarket part it is way more challenging because they are doing it with half the resources or a quarter of the resources. oh yeah with yeah just a minute amount of those resources because, that the, the big manufacturers have and and part of that is you don't want rock slide to have to go out and buy every new model and every model change of a jeep to develop their product because then you would not be able to afford those products. They Correct. would have to transfer that, that investment. That cost of doing over, business. And then you wouldn't buy them. So yes, we're going to have to, as a installer, a quality installer to do a, our jobs, to do a good job, put it on a 24 and go, Hey, this changed from 23 to 24. And now how do we overcome this situation? So the quirky thing that we discovered was, well, the, there was two parts, two to parts. It. The first was the, the bracketry that mounts it on to the, the body mounts. Yep. The bracketry only was on one mount on, on one mount on each side. Yep. Was too tall. Yep. We had to have it shortened and we're talking like a half inch. Yeah. Three quarters of an inch. And, and that's that was because, it. Uh, and everybody says, well, why did they change that? Well, because 
when that 2024 rolled down the line and no more 23s were made, and they decide, hey, we need to move this this body mount for whatever reason for it half an inch, maybe just fixture reason, maybe it's a design reason, maybe it's a crash test reason, who knows? They are only going to produce that frame from there on that design, so they it doesn't affect them. Yes, they are going to make that change, and it'll be a run uh, from there on. It'll be that way. Where we run into problems is, well, wait a minute, we just put it on a twenty three and it bolted right on perfectly. Now we have a facelift. Uh, we didn't touch the main structure of the Jeep. We think right. But now it doesn't bolt on. Right. Why as far as the 2024s, we're thinking, hey, this is mainly mainly a trim a, a and grill and grill and fascia face change. change. And that, that, that fascia actually, change was just enough that it changed the the body trim a little bit so yeah. that that bracket didn't work. Yep. Yeah. So we we run into a bracket and a, a structural change yep. and then uh, an interior switch change. Really, the big picture of this with SEMA is the fact that I know Kyle. Yes. Right? Yes. That I... I have hung out with Kyle. Kyle is the guy that when, when I, Neil calls, he knows who Neil is. When I call Kyle, I go, dude, we're running into an issue with yeah. this body mount. Something's not quite copacetic. Yep. And he goes, yeah, we caught wind of that. What are we going to do? And we're like, yeah, here's here's what we're running into. Here's our measurements. Yep. What do you guys have? My, my favorite part was... Okay, well, we can fix that bracket. What did you guys do for the wiring? How did you wire that? Yes, switch? when he asked us, <laughs> how do we how do we wire? And and folks, we've done this with so many countless manufacturers. And what ultimately the point that I'm I'm driving home just in this has happened recently, um, and it's not just RSE. It's going to be all these other aftermarket manufacturers that we have cohorted with over the years. Our ability to go and meet them on a face-to-face level at a, in a trade show in kind of a constructive well, environment. They then know that you know what you're talking about. They know that you're able to do a good process, your quality, and you're detailed. So then they then for can uh, appreciate what you say and work with you better. Correct. And you know, those brackets were available and overnighted uh, yes. Free of charge to everybody in the process. RSC just did it as a... The uh, only thing we lost was some time, which that is another good segue, is if you are doing this kind of stuff and you think, you know, I want to be a, a trendsetter, I want to have the newest, bestest thing. Yep. Sorry, there's going to be some R&D on your product. Yep. Uh, and you, you got to be a little bit more understanding, and it's going to take some time. Well, we have a great friend uh, and customer, Kevin, who literally has his Artie. Artie. If you ever heard us refer to Artie, watch any of the YouTube videos or anything like that, Artie is literally long for R and D because yes. we have worked with Center Force, with PSC, yep. uh, with a number of suspension manufacturers to research and develop on Kevin's Jeep. Because it is an 18, so it was one of the first... I think it's a uh, 19. I think it's 18 oh. or 19. It's but it was early, early on. enough that it was before anybody really did all those major modifications to a brand right. new vehicle and used it to the extent that Kevin has used it. So SEMA is this, right? So there's going to be these beautiful shows from other builders or beautiful Jeeps or, or vehicles, excuse me, vehicles yeah. from other builders. There's going to be um, new product releases. So things that are coming down the pipe yep. um, that we need to be aware of. And it's interesting at this point in time, uh, as fairly green individuals, we started to attend years ago and we would go to the show and we would see a brand new product release or we'd see, we'd get a piece of literature or a pamphlet material and say, this product is available. Yep. And then it wasn't. And then it wasn't. <laughs> We're talking big, 
time manufacturers. Right. And we're like, we're planning builds in our heads. We know we're going to put them in. We're excited. And then right. it never makes it to market. And then it never, never makes it to market. Yeah. And so uh, these Sometimes are things it's that- Sometimes just see what sticks a little bit. 100%. And these are things that we are then exposed to. That, I mean, the closest I can think of for just general populace is a uh, new car- uh, release or, or where you would be able to go to Cleveland and see the new cars and there might be Any some of the car shows, concepts, yes. that kind of stuff. And they're just seeing what sticks. They're going to put out this concept. They're going to change this color. They're going to change this tire size. And they're going to watch your reaction. A little bit of that happens as well at the trade shows. They're going to be like, okay, well, here's this uh, new axle. And does this actually make sense in the market? Uh, we can do it. I'm going to throw a curveball at Neil specifically, because you've fine. been to the show for many years now. Right. Throughout all the years you've gone, has there been a, one specific product that sticks out in your mind that you saw there and knew was going to be influential in the market and became influential in the market? I, I think that's all the time, honestly. But so, one one specific that stands out. Yeah. So uh, uh, unquestionably, um, the there was actually... There's, and it's interesting. I'm glad you asked the question because uh, the specific product that we have done the most installations of and has been a game changer in the last decade is the up-down air system mm-hmm. and uh, or air-down system. And so those of you who, who know this, it's actually uh, we do a physical installation of kind of a central air system. And then we give you these four separate whips that um, attach to uh, the inner uh, to that central well, four line, four places on the vehicle. Yeah, four different places, wheel. and then it allows the tires to air up and air down equilaterally. We actually talked about this on a previous podcast under yep. the towing just recently in the last yes. month. That was one of the big uh, products to watch, uh, launch products, and I factually can tell you that things that I'm proud of as this business uh, brings to market is the fact that our lead performance, Greg, identified this product. Long before anybody had ever even seen it, he saw it released under the Keystone Big Show uh, that we were attending in Washington, D.C., and then he uh, he actually saw it at SEMA. He actually had an opportunity to talk to Scott, the inventor of it, and we developed a relationship long before anybody else was aware uh, that this product even existed, yeah, right? or that the market even existed. And equally, uh, Trigger. So we use a lot of the Trigger 4 and the Trigger 6. Uh, that particular product, again, exact same story. I credit Greg for identifying that as a primary option. So the S-Pod reasonably had the JK market by storm. If you don't know what that is, it's a it's a switching system. It was big. It was bulky. I got to be honest with you. God love you if you thought it was a cool product 10 years ago. You were wrong. Um, but ultimately, you got caught up in the trend of the S-Pod switch system. It wasn't well engineered. It was ahead of its curve. And so it was, yeah. uh, it was was appropriate to what it was doing. I don't discredit you for having it on your Jeep because you needed it. It had some challenges. But it had challenges that it was just simply filling the void because nobody else had a quality switch system at that time. Right. Um, It it honestly just proved the market was there. It proved the market was there and then everybody copied it from there. They were the originator. Now, the uh, from Advanced Accessory Concepts, uh, that individual... Again, as somebody that we meet out at the shows, uh, we have an opportunity to talk to them directly, and we have been using their RF-based four and six uh, switch 
uh, wireless uh, switching system for many years at this point. And those yeah. are ones that we picked up ahead of the consumer market uh, because of our attendance at these events. Yeah. Now, in a nutshell, is one of the things that's so important for someone, and at this point, you know, most, yeah. to, to attend so that they can see that kind of stuff. And the other, I'll even take it a step further. There's is where ideas are shared. Uh, a lot of YouTubers release vehicles that they are doing, and they're pushing the envelope in a different direction that is uh, unbeknownst to majority of that. And uh, and maybe that engineer walks by and goes, I didn't think about it that way. Sure. Or I didn't see that kind of scenario. Or I didn't think about how that was utilized. And now that spurs another sure. big development maybe next year. So my challenge, based on this conversation, is next week when we come back, we are going to discuss... What potential products you think are going to be the flash in the pan and never make it to market? Yep. Ferrochi Axel. I'm looking at you, Ferrochi. And <laughs> garbage. And you're going to predict which single product that from this year's event you think is going to be the next trend. That's a really big challenge because, man, I, 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 I got to be honest with you. Again, I'm going to use Ferrochi as a, an example. It was a really cool concept, uh, I don't know, five, seven years ago when everybody was color coordinating, coordinating everything on their vehicles. Yep. Uh, Ferrochi was actually offering uh, 44s and 60s uh, and, and other uh, built axles in powder-coated, geared, locked, uh, assemblage. Uh, so you could, uh, you know, just as you're going to Curry or Dynatrack or, or Dana, uh, you could find yourself an axle. You had this booth. It was beautiful. It was well-built. They had, I don't know, seven different axles there. They had a an association with a large parent company that ultimately everybody has um, heard, of. Used, heard of and used parts in their past. And this was their association. And uh, this company just just thrust onto the scene at SEMA. And that was like, you know, Greg and I are there and we're like, yeah, this is what's up. We're going to be able to have these axles and these colors and people are going to think this is really cool. Yep. And it just absolutely never went anywhere. And, and I just think and of that's the, part of the it. investment. There's, there's so much different things to be said there. It isn't, you can have a great product. You can have it figured out pretty well, but if it doesn't catch the right attention or, Correct. or the market's hit not the right ready market. yep. for it to be released, um, you know, maybe you could have the best of everything, but then suddenly economically we all downturn and we yes. don't have the extra, you know, $2,000 to pop on this product. Then sadly the product doesn't exist. Correct. And I think that that's, what's important to just to help kind of summarize to say SEMA is both a testing bed to say, how is the market going to react to these new products? It's, it's also uh, a main stage to, uh, to to kind of say, hey, I'm here. I'm serious about uh, this product that we've made, this build that I've created, this business that we are endeavoring into. It's an opportunity to talk with those engineers, those manufacturers, those salespeople, um, <clears throat> and really come face to face uh, as an industry to to make it make sense. Well, it's right? an opportunity to build relationships <clears throat> that we can then get products at more competitive prices for our customers. Sure. Uh, that as well. 
So then here's the other show, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it because that's a society, what we do or don't do. Um, but it's actually my favorite show is Apex. Most people don't even know that this secondary show is happening because realistically it is geared towards people like me. And I say that in like the nicest way possible, but if you're listening, you already get it. Like Neil's a little bit of an odd duck, you know what I mean? And so they're like, all right, whatever. It is a show that is geared around manufacturing processes. So SEMA is meant to uh, showcase what can be done with, with manufacturers process. with that process. Yep. Apex is about the process. What machinery you need. What machinery. What are the chemical compositions of paint? So Duplicolor will be over there. Rust-Oleum will be over there. Fluid film will be yeah. over there. Um, there will and now be... John's going to be sending you a checklist of things to check on manufacturing <laughs> processes at Apex. John, and, please and, do send that because I, I, I want to see it That happen. is a whole <laughs> aspect of that particular show. There's There'll be logistic software companies. There yeah. will be uh, brokerages Imagine that will like help. robotics and that kind of stuff. There yeah. is some of that, but some of our big names uh, of... of you know, of our automotive industry are, are equally represented over there, but at a more uh, technical level to yeah. say, these are the things that make the industry tick. Yeah. SEMA is about showcasing the, you know, the kind of the, the, the cool, the pomp and circumstance. Think of it as the SEMA show is your storefront where yep. all your yeah, marketing and advertising happens. Yep. It's a little and prettier. Then Apex is your service side of the shop. Yep. Yeah, it's where the where it's the where stuff the stuff happens. It's where the stuff happens, you yeah. know. Um, for me, that's how I look at it. Uh, obviously, you can find, um, you know, you can find what you're looking for at either show. You're going to want to tune in to to make sure that you're following along with us for content. We're going to ask uh, if you're listening, if you're following along on YouTube, if you're on one of our social platforms, you know, like and share our material. Make sure that you're getting it out there to our friends because it is our objective to showcase specifically the Jeep and off-road market, the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, of this event. We really want people to be engaged in the media production that we are bringing to the table while there. Also, the other thing, this is a little bit of a call to action because everybody complains about where th their hobby or their enthusiast market is going. This is your chance to um, put your dollar where your mouth is. And if you see a product that you're like, man, that is what's up. That is what I need. That's that kind of stuff. When it is available, buy it. Yes, you're going to have some problems. There's going to be a little bit of uh, bumps in the road. Yep. If you're if you're playing the first to market game. Yeah. Yep. But that is how you prove that it is market relevant. And that is what gives that company the confidence to then further development and further it out. No one likes to have stuff blow up in their face a little bit, but you almost need that to happen so that the product can be refined and be done well. If you don't ever do that first step, you never get that second action of the refinement and that product goes away and it never gets hit to uh, that full potential. So Absolutely. So we're going to have a blast um, out there. You know, like I said, tune in and make sure that, uh, you know, we need you to further that information and content out to the rest of the world. So please, uh, please help in that process. Uh, best of luck to our, our team that is flying out tonight. Uh, Savage is going to be taking video and, and uh, 
Jeffrey and Greg uh, and, and Savage will be on a plane this evening, so we, we wish them uh, the best uh, cuddling on the plane <laughs> and at the hotel. Uh, Dave is going to be sad he doesn't get Neil Snuggles this I year. I know. No Neil Snuggles with Davey. My wife has joined us. I think she has another friend who's who's coming out now all of a sudden, and, and we know that. So uh, we'll be joining later in the week um, and having a, a nice time. Uh, I, I, hopefully, I don't know. We'll see how we'll see how things go. It is go. what you make it. It is what you make it. I it, still don't have a flight back, so yeah, I, might well, need you I to, may or may not be here, folks. I, I might need you to drive a JT cross country. I might we'll need see. to drive a, something that would be fun. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would we'll honestly be, be, we'll be awesome. doing the podcast, and I'll be like, you know, FaceTiming in for folks yeah. with um, with Scott's potentially new Jeep. Yeah, right. Right. So uh, this time tomorrow, I think uh, Davey and, and Jeffrey and Greg will be getting uh, full on steak and eggs. So best of luck to them. And uh, tune back oh, in Chip, next week. Chip is saying, make sure you review, renew you the vows with Elvis. Oh, Poor man. Jennifer. Wouldn't that be something? Oh, it'd be great. Jen with Elvis and, and, and a little chapel and off Davey the street. Davey absolutely can record it. Oh, wonderful. All right, folks. We've had a great time. We look forward to talking with you next week. Uh, following up from the show, Jeep on. Jeep on. Jeep on. Jeep on.